This is Soul Stories, where we tell real life stories that, yeah, touch your soul. I'm Rabbi Shlomo Landau. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to episode three. It was at the height of the Cold War that Rabbi David Goldwasser, the prolific author and amazing Torah personality, was given a unique and very dangerous opportunity to travel to the former Soviet Union in disguise, incognito, as a simple tourist, but really to make contact with the underground, the Jewish underground, that was learning and teaching Torah and growing and becoming closer to Hashem, even under the noses of the NKVD, the Russian secret police. And Rabbi Goldwasser packed all his stuff, fully aware of the great danger of being exposed. And he put in his suitcase all the regular things that he would put in, one would put in their suitcase, touristy items, baseball caps and sunglasses and sweatshirts and those type of things. But there was also another compartment in his suitcase with a duffel bag, and in that duffel bag were many items that were unattainable in the former Soviet Union. Kiddush cups, besamim holders, challah covers, all these things that we take for granted but were just impossible to access in the Soviet Union. And he took those with, with the hope that he'd be able to give them out to distribute them so that people could live a more functional Jewish life. And he arrived and he made contact with this incredible young group of men and women that all they wanted to do was learn Torah and get closer to Hashem and it was really a remarkable trip and he, he writes how he sat down with them and he began to teach them Torah and he knew he had to be back in his hotel by 11 o'clock and when he got up to leave they, one gentleman, a fellow by the name of Sasha puts his hands on his head and he says Kvot Arab, Rabbi Od just five more minutes of Torah please, like a person who was thirsting for water, they were thirsting for Devar Hashem, for the word of Hashem it was really an incredible experience and thus he taught them, and they were inspired, and it was really remarkable, under great danger, with their curtains drawn and music playing in the background to block out anything. These people learned, and they learned because they wanted to and because they were thirsting for Torah. The day before he left, they approached him and said, Listen, you've done so much for us. It's been so meaningful. We'd like to make a small goodbye party, Suhudas Preda, before you travel out of our lives and back to the United States, to the world of the free. And he said, Okay, of course I'm going to come. He was very touched by it. And right before he left his hotel to go to this goodbye party, he said, you know what, this guy Sasha has been so instrumental in putting this together, and he, you could see his soul is on fire. I'd like to give him a little gift. And he reached into the duffel bag to see what was left of a summon, a, a fragrance box. That wasn't the right thing, a Kiddush cup. And then he saw a very simple challah cover. It was designed, it was white, you know, like white velvet, and it had on it two lines of silver and or blue, blue is silver and a star of David, a mug and David in the middle, similar to an Israeli flag and was designed to be a challah cover. And he said, you know what, maybe this is the right thing for this fellow. I don't know, it just seems like this might be the right thing for him. And he took the challah cover and he put it in a little bag and he put it inside of his pocket and he said, listen, when I have a quiet moment, I'll pull him aside into the kitchen and you know, I'll give it to him. And he arrives and there were even more people than in the past. And on the table, they had, you know, each person had brought their precious thing. There were some little tiny squares of cake, which seems were a great treat there. And there was some matzah left over from Pesach, which was their most precious item, and a little bit of kosher wine. And they'd real, everyone had really taken their most precious things that they had to make this goodbye party meaningful and to show Rabbi Goldwasser how much they appreciated what he had done for them. And it was beautiful. It seems like they sang some songs and he shared some Torah. And the eyes were shining and the atmosphere in the room was beautiful. At a quiet moment, he took Sasha into the kitchen. 
And he said to him, Sasha, you know, you, you were so amazing, and you are so amazing, and look what you're doing for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you here, and I brought you a small gift. And he takes out the bag, and he gives him the challah cover, and Sasha looks at the challah cover, and he blanches, and tears begin to stream down his face. Wordlessly and silently, he takes Rabbi David Goldwasser by the hand, and he leads him through the dining room into a little tiny hallway. And in the hallway... There's a, 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 there's a, a bookshelf, and he shows him on the top of the bookshelf. He takes out a book, and he opens up the book, and he pulls out of the book something so mind-boggling and something so incredible. It was a simple, white, large paper napkin that he had drawn upon himself. There was a line of silver blue on top, a line of silver blue on the bottom, and a Star of David in the middle. It had been his own improvised, homemade challah cover, and it was exactly the same challah cover that Rabbi David Goldwasser had brought all the way from the United States. They hugged one another, remarkable, in awe of the fact that Akadosh Baruch Hu had given them such an incredible message that he was running the world. What are the chances that those two challah covers would be exactly the same? By the way, Sasha gave this paper napkin, challah cover, to Rabbi Goldwasser, and he still has it. It's a treasure. It's something very precious in Hashem's eyes. But what comes out of the story is the most remarkable thing that two people, two strangers, one on one side of the world, one on the other side of the world, gives a gift to another, and it's exactly what he needed and exactly what he was using. You can't make this stuff up. There's only one way for a story like this to happen, and that is if you believe that there is a director who is directing every little aspect of our lives, which leads us into an amazing and incredible story, personal story, that happened to me a bunch of years ago. It's got a bunch of moving parts, so pay attention because it all comes together in the most phenomenal and remarkable way. So there was a fellow in our community that was unfortunately quite ill, and his family asked me if I could, young man actually, and asked me if I can go and visit him at St. Peter's University Hospital. Now. I don't usually go to that hospital. There's a different hospital nearby where most of the people that I visit usually are. But okay, the fellow was there. I'm going to go there. Now, let me just share something personal. In most hospitals, if you're a rabbi, if you're clergy, you don't play parking. I know the other hospital, whenever I go there, I give them my parking ticket. They validate it, and I don't have to pay parking. In St. Peter's Hospital, I'd never done that before. So I figured, you know what? I'm going to try to find a place to park. And then I'll get my ticket validated. But when I pulled into the parking lot, I stopped the attendant and I said, I just want to clarify something. Do you guys validate parking for clergy? And he says to me, what's your name? I said, my name is Rabbi Landau. He said, let me check the list. And he looks at the list. I'm not on the list. He goes, if you're not on this list, you pay parking like every other person. I'm like, list? What list? How do I get onto a list? And he says, listen, you have to go as a Catholic hospital. You have to go to the rectory on the top floor where the nuns are, and if they approve that you're a true clergy, a genuine clergy, they can put your name on the list. And if they put your name on the list, you won't have to pay parking. Okay, I said, I made a mental note. I'll visit the patient, and I'll go to the rectory, and then I'll get myself on the list. And if I get myself on the list, I'll never have to pay parking there. Okay. I go and I visit this patient, and then I take the elevator all the way to the top floor, I come into the rectory, and there's a nun sitting behind the desk. She's got one of those long, uh, not sure what they're called, techels. And she looks at me, and she goes, how can I help you? I said, hi, I'm Rabbi Landau. She goes, where are you from, and who do you work for? 
I said, I just wanted to get my name on the list. And she goes, oh, it would be my pleasure. You work in the neighborhood. You're coming to visit people. Let me put you on the list. By the way, she says, Rabbi, maybe it's providential that you're here today. I'm like, why is it providential? She goes, our Jewish chaplain just quit two weeks ago. And we have many names on the list of Jewish patients that have asked for a chaplain. Can you go visit them? I said, listen, I visited one fellow, and I really don't have much time. I certainly can't visit all of them. But you know what? I'll visit one of them. Who would you like me to visit? And she scans the list, and she goes, oh, I got it. Rose. You should visit Rose. I'm like, who's Rose? She goes, Rose volunteered in this hospital for many, many, many years. And now she's a very old woman, and she's in the hospital, and she's been asking for a rabbi for three consecutive days. We haven't been able to sell, send her anyone. Would you be able to go visit her? I feel like we owe it to her, and it would mean so much to her. I said, yes, but I, on one condition, I need you to get me an attendant that can take me there quickly. I don't want to have to find my way through the labyrinth of the halls of the hospital. She goes, no problem. And very soon after, thereafter, an aide came and took me to, the, to this woman's room. And I come into the room. It's, there's two patients in the room, and she's the far patient. And she's behind the curtain, and I call out Rose, and she goes, who's there? I said, can I, can I come in? I'm Rabbi Landau. She goes, Rabbi, what took you so long? Three days I'm asking for you. I said, I'm sorry, Rose. I, I just came here today. I, I didn't know I'm not the chaplain. She goes, okay. I said, Rose, how are you? What's doing? She goes, I'm okay. I'm 95 years old, and I broke my hip three days ago, and I desperately need hip replacement. She says, the problem is I'm old, so I keep getting to the bottom of the list in the operating theater. And the surgery that I so desperately need I keep getting pushed to the end of the list, so I'm just not having the surgery that I need. And more than that, she says, Rabbi, do you know that I haven't eaten anything in three days? She says, if this hip ain't going to kill me, starvation will. I'm like, why haven't you eaten? She says, because they always want to have me prepped in case I have to go into the hospital and I'll eat before you have a surgery. So, so they're prepping me, and, and maybe I'll go and maybe I won't. But, and I went out into the hall to try to find a doctor, someone that I recognize who I did, and to try to find someone, whatever, if we can maybe possibly do something for Rose. Okay. Um, while I'm talking to Rose, all of a sudden, a doctor comes in. And it's a doctor who I recognize. I teach his son in high school. And he kind of looks at me, doesn't even say hello, and he comes over to her and says to Rose, she goes, yes. He goes, my name is Dr. So-and-so, and I'm a cardiologist. And I'm here to clear you for surgery. You're open. There's an operating theater that's open. They'd like to take you right to surgery, but I have to make sure that your heart is strong enough. So is it okay if I examine you? He examines her and he says, Rose, you have the heart of a 20-year-old. I'm clearing you. No problem. You could go into surgery. She looks at me. She goes, Rabbi, I'm going into surgery. I said, that's amazing news. Rose, would you like to say some prayers together? And she says, of course. And we said some Tehillim and I said a Mishaberach for her. And I sat by her bedside just for a few minutes and she was very pensive. And she looks at me and she says to me, listen, Rabbi, I'm in God's hands. But God's been kind to me. I have children and I grandchildren, I even have great-grandchildren. And um, I'm at peace. Rabbi, you can go. God willing, the surgery will, will go well. I really appreciate you coming here and you praying here. God bless you. And I left, and that was the end of the story, or so I thought. About two days later, I'm in school, and I'm walking down the front steps of the school. And a woman stops me and says, Hi, Rabbi Lando. And I'm like, Oh, hi. It was the wife of the cardiologist, the mother of my student. And she says, So sad, Rabbi, right? What are you talking about? What's so sad? She goes, oh, Rose, that woman, she passed away in surgery. I'm like, what? She says, my husband said you were there, and he apologizes profusely. He was so busy, he was under so much pressure, but he cleared her for surgery. Later we heard that 
Sadly, she passed away in surgery. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, thank you for sharing. We should only share good news with one another. But the story is not over yet. Because you see, that evening, I go to David Mincha, the afternoon services, in the young Israel of East Brunswick. And I come in there a little bit early, as I like to do. And there's three men sitting at a table. And one of them, I think, has his shirt torn. He's a mourner, the sign of mourning. And I went over to them and I said, oh, I don't recognize you guys, but I noticed clearly that you must be in mourning. My condolences. And one of the fellows says, yeah, my mom passed away. It was an elderly fellow. and my, she, was, she was quite old and she was 95 years old and she, she just didn't make it. And she died in surgery. And I'm like, Rose? And the guy takes a step back. He goes, how do you know? Yeah, Rose. I said, Rose? He says, he starts crying and he goes, we feel so terrible. We got a call from the hospital that our mom was going into surgery and we went rushing over to the hospital. By the time we got there, she was already taken into surgery and we never had a chance to say goodbye to her. She must have been so flustered. She had nobody around her and she's going in for this major surgery. We feel so bad. We were by her bedside for literally the last three days and we just took a small break and then she goes and then she disappears and we're never going to see her again. This is so terrible. And he's crying. He says, we feel so guilty. We should have been there for her. No one should have left her. At least she could have gone into surgery you know, peacefully with her children around her. I said, gentlemen, your mother went into surgery very much at peace. How do you know, they said to me. And I shared with them the story. And I shared her parting words, and she said, Rabbi Landau, you can go. I'm at peace. God has been really kind to me. He's given me children and grandchildren and even great-grandchildren. You have nothing to worry about, no guilt going forward. Your mother was okay. And I know that because I was the last person that spoke to her before she went into surgery. The fellow began a, a new bout of fresh tears, but this way, these were tears of relief. He could finally live with himself. And then we began Mincha, the afternoon services, and we talked to the director, the one that had arranged that I should go to the rectory to get a free parking pass and visit the one patient that the hospital knew, and that I should come there while the cardiologist was there, the cardiologist should come while I was there, so that I could find out later that she passed away so that I could hear her final words, that she was at peace with herself, so I could share it with her children who could live down the fact that they weren't there at their mother's bedside and that she was okay. What are the chances of such a story happening? One in a million, one in a hundred million? But when there's a director, there's a master choreographer, he puts everyone exactly where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be, and he makes sure that the world is an incredible place. And I was very fortunate to be a little tiny cog in a massive, enterprise by the director himself. Which leads us to our final short story, which just happened to me this past Sunday. Crazy story. I know people say stories. Everything happens to you. What am I supposed to do? Somehow I'm fortunate that the director uses me as a pawn sometimes. Well, here's the story. I went to the grocery store in Lakewood with my little three-year-old son, and we come to the freezer section. We wanted to buy some frozen pizza. And I'm talking to my three-year-old, and I'm like, oh, this brand we're not going to buy because we didn't have such a great experience with this brand. The pizza wasn't great last time when we bought it. But maybe we'll take this. And all of a sudden, a woman behind me says, what's wrong with that brand? I spin around like I didn't even know what was, was there, and I certainly didn't realize that anyone could hear what I said to my son. And she says, I said, no, nothing. It's not important. Nothing's wrong. It's great. It's wonderful. She goes, no, no, I need to know. I'm the owner of that pizza company, that frozen pizza company. 
said, if you want to know the truth, the crust wasn't great, the cheese wasn't, something was wrong with the pie that we had. She says, why did you call us up and tell us? We like to know what our customers, what their reviews are like. I said, don't worry about it, it was just a pie pizza. She reaches into the freezer case and she takes out a pie pizza and she goes, here, this is for you. And then she takes out another pizza product that they manufacture as well. She goes, this is for you, don't pay for it. On my way out, she was just shopping in the store like everybody else. On my way out, I'll, I'll settle your bill and you won't have to pay for it. I want to make it right. And if anything ever happens and you're not satisfied with our product, just reach out and we'll make it good. And I took those two boxes of pizza and paid for all my other items and she paid for those two items. And I went home and I shared this story with my wife and my children. And my kids like, that's amazing. You got two, a full pie of pizza for free plus another pizza product. That's amazing. And I looked at my children and I said, that's amazing. I want you to think about something for a moment. What are the chances that while I am at the freezer case of one of many, many grocery stores in the area, and I am whispering to my son about this pie of pizza, the owner should be there. What are the chances of that happening? Who knows? One in tens of millions. Yet somehow in the Almighty's playbook, on Rosh Hashanah, when he was deciding how much I should have to spend for the groceries for my family, he didn't feel that I should have to pay for that pie of pizza as well as that pizza product. And in that very same book, when he was figuring out the calculations and tabulations of what the owner of this frozen pizza company should spend and receive that year, he also somehow put into there that this pie of pizza that was not so good should be able to be made right and that she can make amends. And she did, and she did it in a real way. What are the chances of such a thing happening? Humanly, almost none. But when there's a director, there's somebody that's putting all the pieces together. There's somebody who is choreographing, the choreographer, and creating this incredible choreography where everything comes together. Two random people can be standing next to one another in a grocery store. She can make the right for me. She can have the opportunity to make a right something that perhaps should have been made right. Unbelievable. We all have a choice. We could either believe in the director, or we could look at a directorless world, but it's so much more complicated that way. Till the next episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your family and friends. If you loved it, why not sponsor an episode? Contact sponsor at kolatorakula.com. That's sponsor at K-O-L-H-A-T-O-R-A-H-K-U-L-A-H dot com. Until next time.